Hey everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world, and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our Substack. You'll find a link in the description. There's one thing that matters in media, trust. And I would argue that it's not just in media. Look at the bear market in crypto right now and look at who's winning the exchange game. It's Coinbase because people trust them. And I think like when we are trying to like, we have a big decision to make at the company, there's a core value of like trust and, it, and, and things funnel back to that. Niches make riches, I would say. That's a good strategy for media companies to take is like, how can I own a really, really, really specific niche Dominate that niche and then expand and then try to dominate that niche and then expand. Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empire or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones, let's dive in. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code Media Empires to get a 20% discount. Hey, everybody. Today's guest on Media Empires is Jason Janowitz. Jason is the co-founder of Blockworks, an events and crypto media company that sits at the intersection of digital assets and traditional finance. He's worked as a producer as well as a creator and has become one of the best and most trusted creators in the crypto space. In this episode, we discuss podcast networks, trust in the media world, building audiences, and much more. Without further ado, here's Jason. Jason, welcome to Media Empires. Thanks so much for joining. Yeah, good to be here, Eric. Jason, by, by way of introduction, why don't you give a brief background on Blockworks, uh, the empire it is today, and and the evolution of how it got there? Yeah, of course. Uh, kind words of you to uh, to call it an empire. I don't know if I'd go that far, but Block, Blockworks is a fast-growing media and information brand in, in crypto. So the original thesis that we, you know, we've probably got a lot wrong over the years, but the original thesis that we got right five years ago when we founded the company was that crypto would eventually become this large institutional asset class. The industry was a, as a whole would grow exponentially. And what that meant is that the number of investors who would come into the industry would also grow by orders of magnitude. And when we looked at that, there were all these companies that were going to get created around that, you know, institutional infrastructure, software companies. And, and, you, and you saw that happen. But also one of the things that we saw happening was uh, those investors who came into the industry were just going to demand a much, much, much better source of information and much higher quality of information. And so that's really what we've set out to do is just provide uh, investors who allocate to crypto better information about the industry. And that's super top of funnel, social and newsletters and podcasts and really hard hitting news and journalism all the way down to like what I'd call maybe the bottom of the funnel, which is like data and, and analytics and protocol governance and research and stuff like that. So that's a hopefully a decent high level. 
That, that's very helpful. Can, can you go a bit deeper and describe kind of almost like to the extent that you, you could share almost like pie chart your business a little bit of like how you think about the newsletter, uh, you know, versus podcast, you know, versus research, versus events. How do we get in the nuts and bolts of your, your business a little bit? So I'd probably bucket it into three segments. I'd probably, um, so, so here's the way that I, here's the way that I think about it is investors. When an, an investor thinks about crypto information, there's kind of what I'd call, some people call it top of funnel and bottom of funnel. I think of it like soft information and hard information. So the soft information is one bucket of the, of the, of the business. And that's like podcasts and newsletters and, uh, even like news and, and journalism and, um, uh, social media. And that's like the stuff that you can kind of follow on a day-to-day basis. And that's maybe like, that's, that's the kind of content where you can get millions and millions and millions of people consuming that kind of information. So that, that's one bucket. The nut, the other bucket is what I'd call hard information. And so that's research and data and analytics and probably 0.1% of our audience cares about that stuff. But the 0.1% of the audience who cares about that, it, those are professional money managers. So those are family offices, hedge funds, um, and, and capital allocators who are allocating to crypto in size, and they want really deep information on the asset class. Uh, and then there's the thir- a third bucket, which is the events and the, and the conferences. And that's kind of the place where we're like, we have created Blockworks as like the hub of, of, of connection, I would almost say. And like a conference business, if you think about it, is you're basically standing up a marketplace for three days and then shutting, shutting down the marketplace. Uh, and, and so that's what we've done on the conference side of things. And if I read uh, or heard in a previous podcast that you're around that 20 million r- revenue number, um, if it, let's say that you're getting to 100 million in, in, in a couple of years or in a future years, where do you expect the breakdown of revenue to come from within those three buckets? Yeah. So the goal in 2022 was um, was 20 million in revenue. And we uh, happy to say we, we cruised through that goal by a decent chunk. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, the revenue. OK, so conferences make a really large amount of, of money. Um, and, and they have a really good margin actually as well, which is something that maybe people, people don't understand about the conference business. However, uh, I, you know, I think there's probably a lot of media operators listening to this revenue. $1 of revenue is not the same across the whole business, right? And in terms of how the market values a dollar. So a lot of our revenue will, will be generated from conferences, but that's almost like the least valuable dollar, I would say. Then there's a the more um, the more valuable dollars the the money that we generate from the podcasts and the newsletters and what I'd call like the digital side of the business. Uh, and then if you actually step up even one one step further, uh, one of the big focuses at the company right now is like scaling the research, which is actually the subscription, you know, recurring revenue side of the business. And that's obviously the hardest revenue to get, but the most valuable dollar. And so like. Today, most of the revenue that we generate, we're recording this in February, 2023, is sponsorships, ads, tickets to conferences. If you fast forward five years, I would like the majority of our revenue to come from subscriptions, research, data, analytics, stuff like that. Totally. So j- just to take flesh that out even further, take Blockworks in, in five years or, or, or the next 10 years, like Blockworks at its, at its, um, at its peak, or at, at when it achieves its scale, what what could it look like? I, yeah, I, I hope I hope we don't peak in five years. Uh, that is uh, <laughs> that is not the goal. But um, 
I'm going to, I'm going to make a comparison that I actually hate making because it's i uh, I'm going to use Bloomberg as a, as an analogy here. And I, re, I actually, re, you know, a lot of crypto information businesses say, you know, we're building the Bloomberg of crypto, which is an analogy I hate because I think Bloomberg is one of the best businesses of all time. But um, it's like saying, we're going to go build another Google or another Apple. It's not, not quite that easy, but you know, Go, uh, Bloomberg does somewhere in the range of like eight to $10 billion in revenue a year. And um we see crypto crypto today is you know the the total market cap of crypto is like sub one trillion dollars and we see the the total market for crypto getting becoming hundred hundreds of times larger than it is today and if that's the case i think that we can become let's even call it one percent or five percent the size of bloomberg you have a colossal business on your hands so that's i think where things go in terms of like a little more tangibly the way that we talk about it internally is like we have we have built this huge funnel where we you know if you are if you pay attention to crypto you probably consume blockworks information in one way or another we have the largest podcast network we have the largest conferences we have some of the largest newsletters we have some of the largest social channels and you you probably consume some information from us in some channel we think that as the space gets institutionalized uh, the number of investors who comes into the industry, like I was mentioning, will grow exponentially. And every professional investor will have some sort of allocation to crypto. Maybe maybe it's just 1%, but those investors are going to need a, a professional tool to use. And uh, we think that our you know, BlockWorks research and analytics platform can be that tool. Yeah. Is, is it fair to say that you know, most tech companies think about how to build the technology first and then community on, on top of it? And you're perhaps taking the opposite approach, which is you spend a number of years building the community, building the, the media company, and that builds the brand and distribution, and then layer in the technology on top of it? Yeah. So it's funny. I, I'm not sure we're doing this the right way, by the way, but we have, uh, I like to, like, we, we basically built a media business ass backwards. So when you look at how most media businesses are created, they start with they start with a newsletter or they start with news or they start with journalism or they start with a podcast. Like they start with content that they, that they own and, and people kind of congregate around that content. And then they say, Oh crap, we have to monetize. And usually that goes in one of two directions. They try monetizing with sponsorships or they raise money. Blockworks has never raised an outside. We raised hundred K from friends and family on day one of the business. And then, you know, that's February of 2023. So at this point in time, we've never raised any outside capital we were forced to basically monetize super, super, super early. So we started as a conference business. Then we built podcasts. Then we built newsletters. And then we said, oh, crap, we've got all these media products, but there's nothing that sits at the middle that ties it all together. And that's when like the blockworks that we know today with like news and, and journalism, that, that, that kind of ties everything together. So that's how like that's how we, we did it. I'm not saying it's the right way. In terms of the... Um, the like platform that sits at the bottom of that funnel. I don't know. I'm still trying to think about this. I, I do believe that every media business in the future will have a software product that sits at the bottom. And I have a feeling what it what it'll look like is not media businesses launching software, but software businesses acquiring media media. And you start you're starting to see this. Uh, you know, Penn National, big game, big uh, gambling casino company. They acquired Barstool Sports. Uh, HubSpot acquired the Hustle. Chase acquired infatuation. Why? Just to drive more, to serve as a media company that would drive credit card signups. So I, I think that's where the future of 
of uh, of media information software ends up going. Yeah, I uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, acquisition costs are only getting higher. Uh, distribution is is only becoming more and more important, and uh, it's getting easier and easier to, to build things and harder and harder to get get you know ret- acquire and retain users. So owned audiences are are inc- becoming increasingly more valuable. I agree there will be lots of acquisitions. And for technology savvy media teams, there will be opportunities to to build uh, to build products. We see we see a number of you know like uh, even to go to the extreme example, like Mr. Beast has a team where they're they're just incubating companies uh, and pair, you know uh, creating uh, companies based off their creators and this, the, the kind of niches that they dominate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people. Uh, it's funny. So Mr. Beast is a good example. Like people talk about the creator economy. I don't, I don't think there's a creator economy. I wouldn't call it a creator economy. I'd call it the attention economy. And I think that basically, if you can find a way to own the attention, I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you can own attention, but if you can own attention, the money will end up coming. And um, I think that's one of the problems with like, you kind of see two types of media companies being created today, Eric. It's like, like news and reporting where you have like a journalist who leaves the New York times or Politico or something, go create their own thing. And oftentimes they think that like eyeballs will come if they create good content and that's not how the world works. And so like the other type of media company that exists is like, they, they just nail getting eyeballs on content, which is like barstool, gimlet, crooked media, um, morning brew, the hustle, like, it's not news, but it's like entertaining a little bit. And I think what we're trying to do at Blockworks is like, how can we, how can we bring both of those together? Like, how can we have this huge podcast network where it's like fun and entertaining and like keeps you informed, but also is like tells stories and stuff like that. And then, and then also the news side of, but like bring more like facts and like information to that side. And then like, how can we like take news and journalism and then like bring this this like core DNA of like growth and eyeballs to that side of things. So, yeah, that's it's fascinating. You're, you you half joke when you say maybe you're doing it, you know, ass backwards. Uh, at the same time, you know, I, I've been inspired by you, by your, your model in Blockworks, and you've been gracious in, in giving me advice over the past few months. And and one of the things I've I've decided is to is to bootstrap, j- j- just like just like you, partially just because going venture just seems like it's, it's the wrong incentive. It seems like it's grow fast too quickly. It, there seem, it seems something, it seems to be misaligned in some way. D- do you think for most media companies or people that are trying to do block works for X, that's, that's the right approach? Media company. I feel very strongly about this. Media companies should not raise money until they have a, they have figured out what that product at the bottom is. So if you just have a media company where like you're growing newsletters or podcasts and you monetize with sponsorships and ads, don't, don't raise money. You don't, you don't need to raise money. You re, you really, really, really don't. And if you can't make a podcast profitable, there's a bigger underlying issue. You don't know how to sell or you don't know how to create good content or you don't know how to grow. And you need to figure that stuff out before you go raise money. Um, once you have a software product that sits at the bottom, go, go raise money, go scale that thing. Cause then you need engineers and product and stuff like that. So, I mean, just like study history, right? Go like Vox, um, BuzzFeed, Vice, there's this whole swath of like media companies that have raised boatload, like literally hundreds of millions of dollars in the 2007 to 2012 period. And they, they all flopped. Even if there was an acquisition, even if they went public, like go look at, go look at the cap table and go talk to those founders about who actually made money. And 
it's not not pretty i'd say so (laughs) yeah totally sometimes it's big numbers but but the the you know it's not big ownership and and yeah they would have made more money independently and i we we experienced that firsthand with product time um you know we we often compared it to TechCrunch. TechCrunch sold for about the same amount but never raised a dollar and uh you know product time raised a bunch of money uh and it's a very different outcome um although product time was still an okay outcome but that, that said um Let's uh, let's transition a bit. I'm, I'm curious, or, or shifting gears a bit. I'm, I'm curious how applicable the Blockworks model is. Um, like, uh, you know, if I'm trying to build Blockworks for AI, do, is it a is it a you know, pretty close copy, or or kind of how should I think about what industries it makes sense to to take your model and just say, hey, let's apply this somewhere else. I think we got really lucky actually with crypto. Um, so so first off, you obviously want to go into like into a really fast growing space. So so like AI, I think a lot of people, like it sounds like you're building kind of this AI podcast and stuff like that, which I love. Like there is so much need for like an AI newsletter, AI news, like a new, like literally a trade pub that just focuses on news, podcast, stuff like that. I think one thing people don't think about enough when, um, uh, when they're building new media brands is, um, is, is the advertiser set. So when, when, when you are, like if you think about what a sales team at a media company does when they're selling advertising, they're they're essentially sitting at like they're they're essentially creating a marketplace. So and that's obviously what Google did so effectively. So like the marketplace that Blockworks has created is there are a lot of investors who allocate to crypto because of you know tokens and all that Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. Then there's all these brands, and most of the brands want money to come onto their platform, like a Coinbase or a Gemini or you know someone like that. So here, here we have like a perfect marketplace where you've got demand and you've got supply and Blockworks sits at the center there. So I have, a, I have a friend, he created a space media company and there's so much demand, so many newsletter subscribers, so many podcast downloads, like everybody wants to, you know, everyone wants to learn about space right now. But the problem is on the other side of the marketplace, the advertisers, there's like eight space companies. There's like what Bezos's company, like. Musk's company, like a couple of big government government related companies. I don't know the space uh, area that 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 well, but like the advertiser set, they're ninety five percent. They the, all they do is every year they just sponsor like the same three conferences, and they've never done digital. So like, I think when you think about going into you know trying to create like the Blockworks for X, it's like yeah, you obviously want to catch a catch the ride and like go into a really fast growing space, but. One thing that people don't think about enough is like, who is that advertiser set and why are they advertising with you? Like, who do they want to reach? That, that's fascinating. So you're, so you're saying uh, in a industry that's like highly consolidated and the players don't want to be digital, that may not be the best place to do a Blockworks. But if the advertiser set is potentially wide enough and potentially digital enough, uh, you can potentially capture. That's right. So so like, let's play this out. Let's do like a thought experiment, maybe live with, with AI. It's like, um, I think what a lot of people will do with AI is create super general AI newsletters and podcasts. And it's just going to be a bunch of like, um, you know, maybe like re- I'd call it like retail consumers who are interested in chat GBT and like AI and open AI and all, all that kind of stuff. The problem with that is um, who's the advertiser there? And what you're probably going to get as, as the advertiser is like a bunch of consumer focused AI companies who charge like $9.99 a month. Uh, like like really small amounts or like they give free trials or something like that. And th- what the problem there is like, they're not going to be willing to spend that much money. Their customer acquisition model 
is going to be all Facebook and Instagram ads. Because at the end of the day, Facebook and Instagram are still the most efficient ways to acquire customers. However, let's say you took a different angle and you went B2B with it. So instead of trying to have a newsletter that had a million subscribers, you had a newsletter with 5,000 subscribers, but all 5,000 of those subscribers were like CTOs and CIOs who were trying to understand how things like ChatGBT and you know Dolly and things like that were going to change their business. Well, now you've got, now who's going to spend with you? Microsoft is going to go spend like 5 million bucks a year advertising on your newsletter. Google, same thing. And it's like this really, these really big B2B spends. And like, that's kind of the way I think about like pushing into media is, uh, yeah, like niche, niches make riches today. And like B2B is always easier than B2C. Yeah, no, totally. If, if you couldn't focus on crypto, uh, or if you had another clone of yourself that was, you know, had to focus on another space, how, how would you think about, or like what other industries might excite you in terms of this B2B opportunity? Okay. So like, this is something I was actually thinking about this morning is like the psychedelic space. There's a lot of need to, um, like, I think a psychedelics podcast and like a psychedelics newsletter would rip and not in the sense of, uh, Hey, like here's the newest, like shrooms that are hitting the street these days, but like a very, like something focused on maybe investors or, you know, like how, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out right now, like, what are the interesting deals? Like, like, how do I get deal flow in the psychedelic space? And like, is that even a good place to be investing? Um, so like, how can you get more, like, how can you do a B2B psychedelics thing? And I'm not convinced there's a good way to do it. The counter argument to that would be like, people did it five years ago in the, in the, in the weed space, like MJ biz just sold. It's a huge conference show. Um, huge conference uh, trade show for, for weed. And like, they just sold for a boatload of money. So I think, I think the first thing I would do to like test a B2B thing is, um, is actually not a newsletter. And it's not a podcast, old school conferences, go host an event, host a trade show, see who shows up. And, uh, and that can be like, you get, you know, 5,000 people to show up or even like 500. That's the backbone of your first newsletter. That's how I would like probably test a new industry. Fascinating. I do wonder, you know, let's talk about B2B more broadly, like industry dive kind of like pioneered the the, the space in some ways, you know, a, a decade or so ago. And you have people like Workweek who are trying to follow in their, in their wake, but with a more creator driven approach. I, I wonder how much we're going to see this kind of like B2B creator, so to speak. Um, I was I was talking to the CEO of an aging media company, I think one of the b- bigger ones. Um, was and it John? He, yes, yes. yes and he, yeah. he, he had a great blog post about how, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to build a new kind of uh, B2B events business around creators. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that that trend and, and where the opportunity might, might be. I would say, uh, so, so I, I know Adam from Workweek pretty well and like I have so much respect for what they've done and he's actually helped me think a lot about like, how to scale newsletters and the customer acquisition costs. And he's a whiz with the Excel models. And like, you put in two bucks here, you got to get $4 out in nine months, like that kind of stuff. And he's helped a lot there. My heart goes out to anyone who works with creators. It is, it is, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. We built the backbone of our podcast network in the early days with folks like Ryan Selkis and Meltem and you guys at Token Daily in the early days and Pomp and like, man, wrangling creators is so much there's a there's a qualitative thing there that i I just can't describe it's very 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 hard so um and like the best creators are not going to want you to own the own the content and so like that was the one of the biggest mistakes we ever made at blockworks was like we built podcasts for two or three years we didn't own that content um and uh we were stoked because you know we had millions of 
dollars coming in, but like we didn't we didn't own the content of that of those original shows. So like, be uh, here, here's what I'd say. I, I I might not call them creators. I'd call them like people with industry expertise. And um, I think what you need there is like, a you always need to own the content. B you need to um I think you need to pair someone with industry expertise with someone who works at your company. So like we do this, every BlockWorks podcast has two hosts. One person is like, you know, like Santiago for my podcast. Santiago is one of the most prolific angel investors in crypto. He's not going to drive the show forward though. He's not going to like wake up thinking about the show every day, but he's going to drive views. He's going to drive like people coming to listen to it. And then like, I'm the one who's kind of like pushing the show forward. That's probably a bad example because I'm using myself, but like, I think you need so I think you need to combine them. You can't just like build a media company on the back of creators, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I've I've um, I followed that example for, from your uh, your teaching I, I, in terms of how I'm building uh, my media company. Uh, do you think you, you you mentioned the importance of owning the content? Let's say you had owned the content originally. You said you made a lot of money of it. How, how would that have been different? Like, what say more about the, like what would you have done if you had owned the content? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, the, here's the best thing that happened was that the boot that was that um, the podcast network allowed us to bootstrap the business. It allowed us to take no outside funding after that first hundred k, um, and it spit off so much cash flow that we were able to reinvest it into the rest of the business. The um, the biggest mistake we ever if that we made at Blockworks was not investing in our own channels early enough. So I think we kind of just looked at other folks and we're like. They have they have the podcast. We can't compete there. We're, who who are we to compete with them? Or like, oh, they have big newsletters. Who are we to compete with those big newsletters? And um, not really realizing that like one of the only things that matters in media is perseverance. So I've watched as like all the biggest podcasts have just slowly stopped hosting, and like all the big newsletters, all the big conferences, they all, they slowly shut down and like one out of 10 remained. And one of the reasons BlockWorks is here, I don't know. We just kept doing it day after day. And we like hit send on the newsletter every day. That's something really fascinating about, about, about you guys, because when I look at the AI space, for example, it seems pretty early. Um, you, you guys were fairly early in, in crypto, but there were already other existing media players and, and with some scale. H- how do you think about um, kind of like entry timing and uh, how you guys entered in already a somewhat crowded media ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, here's here's kind of the history of crypto media is when we came into 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 crypto, there were only two publications who were, who were really solid. It was CoinDesk and Cointelegraph. And, you know, maybe people say that their, you know, their coverage wasn't like amazing, but for, for 2017, it was great. And those, those were the two, we, we never really saw Cointelegraph being anything, but CoinDesk was definitely like the 800 pound gorilla in the space. And um, it's funny, I think a lot of other people saw opportunities. So in May of 2018, listen to all the companies that launched literally in a one month span, Blockworks, um, uh, Masari, Decrypt, uh, and The Block. And then a year later, you had even more. You had uh, The Defiant and then NFT Now uh, and uh, and Bankless and Bankless as well. And um, I don't know, people have just like, I think there are a, cu- a couple of those were never able to figure out sales. So they ended up raising money and I think they probably won't be around in maybe a year from now because they're not able to raise another round. Um, a couple of those like went really low on the funnel and they built software first, but they never built the top of funnel. 
other folks like made poor financial decisions, maybe um, mismanaged uh, the company a little bit. And like, I don't know, we've, we've kind of just uh, kind of just survived. And it's funny, my, Mike and I had this advisor really early on who was like a total, I don't know. I wish, I wish people, I don't know if people are watching on, I, like, I just can't even, I can't even explain this guy. He was like all over the place, like total whack job. But he said one thing that's like, just has always stuck with me. He goes in an area that's as hot as crypto, you don't have to be the best. You really don't have to be the best. The industry is going so, growing so fast. You just have to survive. And I think Mike and I really took that to heart. Um, and I think that stands to be, you know, stands to be true with, with uh, what's happened with us so far. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a game of endurance for sure. For, for the folks who haven't figured out sales, as just as a hypothetical, like, is it because if you're unable to figure out sales, is it, is it because um, you pick the wrong audio, like customer set within crypto? Is it because you're just unable to build the right relationships with the right advertisers? Or what's so important to get right um, to figure out sales? Niches make riches, I would say. And that's why, like, you know, we, we were very B2B at the beginning. Like, we, were, we didn't care about the retail person. We didn't even care about the prosumer person. We were incredibly institutional. And I, I think that actually made it so much easier for us because... If you're going after like the retail crypto investor, you can kind of actually just acquire that person through like a Facebook or an Instagram ad. There's no Facebook or Instagram like algorithm that you can run uh, or like targeting set that you can run to go try to reach that like, you know, uh, 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 let's say like a hedge fund manager who manages a billion dollars. Like it's, you can't, so we, and we had that audience. Um, so I think like, that's one thing is like, that's why I recommend going niche to start. The second thing is, um, at the beginning, especially, don't find advertisers. Find partners. So now it's funny. Like I'm on the end, on the other end of some of these like cold emails that people will send, and they're like, "Hey, like our audience is like you know at fourteen thousand ad you know subscribers, and like we have a forty percent uh, open rate, and like uh, I'm selling this at like a twenty six dollars CPM. We've never sold anything on a CPM basis. We've never once even brought up the word CPM in five years with an advertiser. We treat advertisers like partners and we treat them like, and that sounds very fluffy. It's like, oh yeah, sure you do. We literally think of us as like an extension of their marketing team on the, on the partnership side. So instead of going to you and say, Hey, Eric, you've got 50 K you should really advertise on our shows. And you're going to like, here's the, it's 50 K for 13 episodes. We actually change it. And we say, Hey, look, what are your, we'll open the kimono a bit and show you what we're doing this year. You open the kimono a bit and show us what you're doing this year why don't we build like a six to 12 month marketing package as like a, and, and treat it almost like a marketing campaign instead of just like a, Hey, we'll send you a contract for, you know, 15, 15 ads. And so in, in that kind of, it'll be like, Hey, here's a podcast you might want to be a part of. Here's an event. You might like, what, what, what is a example like package look like? Um, yeah. I mean, I like, we just sent out, sent out a contract for it's a $380,000 contract. And it's a part, it's a 12 month partnership, um, where the person pays the, the same amount every month for 12 months. And, um, it includes a lot of, like a, a bunch of like activations at one of our conferences and leading up to the conference, which is permissionless in September, uh, it's February now. So we've got seven months leading up to that. They're doing a bunch of like, you know, they'll run a series of webinar, uh, you know, once a month, they'll do a webinar with us. They're running ads on different podcasts. We're doing like a custom thing on social with them. So like by the time someone arrives at permissionless, they will know that advertiser's brand so well that when they see their booth, they're going to say, holy shit, it's that company. 
instead of showing up at that event, instead of showing up at the, at the conference being like, just another booth, one of one of 100 here, they're going to know that brand and love that brand so much that it'll be so easy for their sales team to actually uh, close those deals on site. That That's our goal, at least. That, that's a great example. So let's flesh out this, uh, this let's say BlockWorks for AI as a, as a hypothetical, and we'll go kind of one by one. Uh, let's say I want to, you know, throw the, the biggest, uh, most important event in the space or series of events. What, what's important for me uh, in terms of how to get events right based on, based on your experience and expertise? Your initial um, attendees are going to, should, you should, you should do things that don't scale to get those initial attendees in there. So, my, you know, Mike and I have this fun bootstrapping story of like the first year of the business or the first uh, what, what, what was it? December to May. First six months of the business, Mike and I both had full-time jobs, but we were trying to sell tickets to these events. That was the only thing we did. It was events back then. And there were these like 6 to 10 p.m. after work happy hour events. And we would wake up every single morning before work and just basically hawk tickets on LinkedIn. We messaged 500 people. You know, 50 of them might respond. 10 of them click the link. And one of the 10 buys the ticket. So boom, there, you, got, you got one ticket a mor you know, per morning that we're selling. And um, so I think you should just expect to like do things that don't scale to get those initial attendees in there. Then you can make the event so good that those attendees come back. So we have like a something around like a 90% renewal rate for, for our conferences, but you got to get that initial bucket in there. The second thing I'd say is um, the speakers. I would try to, I don't know the big like AI influencers or people, but like people want to hear uh, people want to hear from people who are like them, actually. So what we do at our events is we'll think about like, who are the perfect, we kind of work backwards. So we're like, okay, okay, who are the, who are the companies who are sponsoring? We're like, um, okay, Coinbase is sponsoring. Coinbase's institutional business is sponsoring. Great. Who does Coinbase's institutional business want to get in front of? Okay. They want to get in front of portfolio managers at large traditional funds who are allocating to crypto. Great. How do we then get those large portfolio managers to come to the event? Oh, they want to hear from other large portfolio managers who are allocating. They want to hear from themselves. Like, I don't want to go to some event and hear from like a market maker. I want to go to an event and hear from another media executive or media operator. And so we will basically create this like perfect attendee breakdown and then match that attendee breakdown with the speakers on stage. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I, I, I'm curious how you think about like, do you think kind of sponsor first and work backwards just in general with business? Like, you know, which podcast should I host? Is it, hey, let's think about who would be a great sponsor and what they're trying to do and then work, work to kind of show around them? Or how do you think about that kind of sequencing? Um, I would say actually when we were more, when we were more like, um, the words that comes to mind is desperate, which probably tells you a lot, like more desperate for, for money in the early days, we definitely thought sponsorship first. Now that we have a little more of a, we're in a much better like spot uh, financially and like can make these longer term bets, we think very content first. So Permissionless, for example, was not one of those events where we were like, who could, who could sponsor an event? It was, hey, look, there's all these events in crypto. No one is, you have Consensus and you have Bitcoin Miami and you have DevCon and you have uh, ETH Denver. No one was serving that need for like this tentpole flagship industry event that was also very crypto native. And, um, and we, and I think a lot of the things we've done, like our research product too, and even the news business have like come out of Mike and I looking around being like, wait, no one has built this yet. This is clearly a need. And so 
now that we have we're in a better capital position, like now things are very content first. Totally. And, and should the goal of the events part of the business, like in terms of ecosystem of events, instead of doing lots of small events, like is the goal really, because you mentioned you were doing happy hours, but now you do this really flagship, is, is the goal to create the flagship industry event? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the dirty secret of the conference business. The bigger you go, the better, the better you are. So I'll use an example here, like Digital Asset Summit. I'll open the kimono a bit. We've been hosting this event for a while, DAS, Digital Asset Summit. We used to do DAS New York and DAS London. And it's probably the only crypto event where people are still like wearing a suit and tie, very buttoned up, institutional. And we don't even call it a crypto event. It's like a digital asset event. Usually get about a thousand people there. Good event, you know. Um, let's say it, I'm going to make up some numbers here. Let's say it, the, uh, let's say it takes a thousand hours to, to, to put that event together, costs 1 million and we make 3 million. Great outcome. Let's, but if you want to 10 X the size of that, and you, you can then do an event where it costs you 10 million makes 30 top line is 30 million, but the time that you've put in is only like double. So as long as you can get that capital up front to invest in an event, the bigger, bigger is always better. 100% of the time. Fascinating. That's very helpful. And the way to get the capital up front is to uh, either get guaranteed sell tickets or, and or partnerships like line of sponsors. Yeah. We, uh, we have an interesting like cash flow business. So we actually sponsors prepay for things. So like if we're going to run ads on a podcast, they, we collect that payment up front or we'll do like 50% up front and then 50% halfway through the podcast ads conferences, same thing. And so like, you know, I think a lot of businesses are very, um, they're like, yeah, you know, the kind of the sales team is very flexible on payment deals. We are not flexible on payment terms. We're like, you collect that cash up front and then on the events team, they delay payment to the vendors as long as possible. And we've got a nice mismatch in, in duration of the capital. Um, and, and that helps fund the event. And then all the while, our tickets are funding the business. And I think we have a pretty unique ticket strategy that I think other people will catch on to. But right now, we're, I think we're one of the only people doing it and it works really well. So, Yeah, no, that's a smart cash flow asset uh, management stuff. Um, cash flow management stuff. Shifting gears a little bit to the, to the podcast network, uh, that's very helpful on the, on the events. Uh, on, the, on the podcast network, it is interesting, like we've talked about this a bit offline where you, you have, let's just say someone like Bankless has, and they've tried multiple shows, but they've really gone, you know, all in on their on their main show, kind of doing different formats within one, whereas you guys have segmented it a bit. Uh, I, I listen to multiple shows, but but it's a, and it's apparent that you you focus on a slightly different, you know, customer profile and different sponsors and, and, um, and it, it also works great. I'm curious, like, let's say I'm building this AI podcast network, how, how would you rec like advise on the pros and cons or, or how do you even think about the framework of like multiple feeds versus versus all in one feed? I would definitely, I would definitely go multiple, multiple different feeds. Um, you, you, uh, it's funny. There was actually a podcast network in crypto called let's talk Bitcoin. And it started as a show and then, um, BTC media acquired it and they started like taking other podcasts and then shoving it into the feed. And what ends up happening is no one ends up listening to that feed. Um, I don't know. Just think like, like take podcasts out of it. Think about any other channel. Like imagine you subscribe to a newsletter and then the news and it's like great newsletter. you got this newsletter coming in. And then like they partner with another newsletter 
and they just start pushing that same content into your inbox. And you're like, well, what, what the hell? I didn't, I didn't sign up for this content. I signed up for the other content. And um, for some reason, people think that podcasts are different. So I wouldn't shove it all into one feed. With that being said, the best way to grow a podcast is these things called feed, like feed drops, cross promotions, and the master of this is Barstool. So what people don't see Barstool doing, who maybe don't care about the operations and like the growth side of things as much as, as I do is like, they, so first off, Barstool has never, does not have a single show with one, one host. They have like 60, between 60 to 90 shows. Every single show has two hosts. So that's the first thing. Second thing is um, they will talk about something. They just did this the other day. So like, uh, they were, what were they talking about on their show? They were talking about, uh, someone on our podcast team showed this to me. They had two guys talking about like, I think it was like girls aren't allowed at the, at the, on the, on the, on the boys trip or something like that. They have another podcast called like, uh, call her daddy. I think call her daddy, one of the biggest podcasts. And then like the call her daddy people then went on the, on the boys podcast to then argue that. And then they're like, this is, you know, this, these people, I, I forget their name, like Sophie or Alex, I forget who ended up staying in that whole debacle. But like, then, then the people who listen to the guy show want to go listen to call her daddy. And it's this amazing cross promotion. And so we do that at Blockworks. We're just starting to. So like, you know, the research team, they have a podcast. They'll come on Empire with Santiago and me if we're talking about a really technical thing. Um, if like the macro show is talking about crypto, you know, I might go in there. Or if we're talking about macro, our macro, someone, someone from our macro show will come on ours. So I wouldn't cram all your stuff into one feed, but I would really highly leverage like feed drops, cross promotions, host swaps, things like that. Fascinating. I'd imagine, just to push back to better understand, I'd imagine that you'd prefer one feed with 100,000 you know, listeners per episode rather than 10 shows with 10,000 listeners per episode, or is, is that incorrect? You're correct in a sense, I'd say. Um, so so it's funny, like the podcast business is your, it, it's actually very similar to you know the world that I know you know a lot about, which is the venture world, where you're essentially taking venture bets on not companies, but on podcasts and like, yeah, I mean, bankless. So we have several shows bankless has bankless. They also had like two or three other shows, but I think they're cutting most of those. And I think it's fine to say that. I think they already cut them. And the reason being like, they got a great model. They, they, that show brings in millions of dollars a year. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're still like, we, we, we have a bunch of big shows, Man, I, I would give a lot to to have one show that was just like Bankless. So like, there is definitely something to say there. But Bankless didn't grow that show by like shoving a bunch of crap into one feed. They built it over three years. Uh, yeah, to totally. And I, I think I, I guess that the bull case for combining the feed is only when it does appear appeal to the same audience. When it appeals to the same, like, because you could imagine Bankless even its own show bankless spinning out to two different, like they, they cover all, all, all different kinds of things. They have different like sub segments within the show. Um, and so like, you know, one example is 20 minute VC with Harry Stebbings. Like he's now done 20 minute growth and sale, even before it needed growth and sales, he was having founders on, he was having VCs on. And now it's like, um, you know, kind of expanded to be like an all around tech show. I actually wonder if the sales and growth should be a different audience, different stream because it feels like a different audience. Um, and similarly, uh, me, me, like even this show, it's called Media Empires. And I have different, I have three different segments. I have podcast empires, I have newsletter empires, and I have uh, kind of creator empires. 
And I've wondered, I haven't launched it yet, so maybe you might change my mind here. I've wondered, should it be the same feed? Because, hey, is everyone kind of interested in this, you're building a media business? Or like, do I get some benefit from segmentation knowing that it's going to be harder to, to, you know, to build those numbers up? What do you think about that? I would, so all three of those have enough similarity that I think it's one feed. But like, if you're Harry Stebbings, those are two different shows. Like, I don't, I don't want to, if I'm, I'm, if I'm plugging in 20 minute VC, like, I don't want to hear about sales compensation strategies. There's, I want that, but in a different, in a, I'm, I'm in a different mindset, you know? So, uh, yeah, that is all right. Let, let me test. How do you think about the long-term business value for podcasts? Is it, is it top of funnel for other things? Uh, is it a big money maker in and of itself? Like, how do you think about that? Both, I'd say. So we have, um, you know, we'll do we we do about a million, maybe more listen a million or more listens on the podcast every single month at Blockworks. That's a million. You know, obviously there's overlap. There's probably m many listeners who listen twice to to a show or whatever, but like. That's hundreds of thousands of people who we can then drive into Blockworks research product, the newsletter, conferences, things like that. But also, we don't we don't do a single thing at Blockworks just to just for eyeballs and like just for attention. Like every channel better make a lot of money. So um, yeah, it's a it, I mean, well, it's a the goal is to have it be you know generating you know, have have the podcast network generate tens of millions of dollars a year. And um, there was a nice little bubble in the podcasting space, which has cooled off with. You, know, you saw Gimlet get acquired for 200 to 250 million bucks. You saw Wonder get acquired. Uh, you saw The Ringer get acquired for 200 to 250. Um, you saw most of the networks got acquired, and that podcast bubble has cooled off. But we're betting that, like, I mean, the 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 share of voice that podcasts have right now is like still so minuscule in terms of like, can you own attention? Man, pod like pod podcasts are one of my favorite channels. Just because I think it's so early right now. Totally. Do, do you think about much about YouTube um, as as a as a platform, or is, is your audience just not as much on YouTube, or so it's not like as significant? You have to think about YouTube if you're a podcaster. Um, the biggest, the toughest thing with podcasts is that there's no native distribution. There's no distribution built in, so you don't find new shows by going to. So where do you listen to a podcast? You listen on Apple or Spotify. You don't find a new show through Apple or Spotify, though you find a new show through like Twitter or uh, or a newsletter or like word of mouth. That's not the same with YouTube. With YouTube, there are a lot of people who listen to shows on YouTube. They will find a new show through YouTube. So actually, if you look at the podcast network today, uh, excuse me, two years ago, probably 90% of the listens came from RSS, which is Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, things like that. Today for us, a, the YouTube generates, I mean, we probably did just on the YouTube alone, probably like 700,000 listens last month. And it's the best place for us to go acquire new, new users. And we take those YouTube people because on YouTube, it's not really like a quote unquote owned audience. We then take that YouTube, uh, those YouTube listeners and try to convert them into our owned audience through the RSS feed. The, uh, let, let's go to, okay. I got, I got the podcast network. I got the events. Now I'm thinking about writing newsletters. So there's, there's different kinds of newsletters, right? There's like, uh, the Ben Thompson, pa Packy McCormick, like, you know, kind of analysis. There's uh kind of like straight up, you know, news roundups and straight up news. Uh, and then there's like almost deeper, like, you know, deeper, much deeper research, uh, that you can charge for. How should I think about the, the it, it seems that you do nearly all of those, if not, if not all of those categories, how, how should I think about the pros and cons of, of di different ones? And, um, 
like which one should I choose? What are the frameworks to making that decision? I think you should think about them in the same way that you think about all other channels, which is, I think it might've been Ben Thompson. I think you mentioned Stratechery and I think it was Ben Thompson who gave this fr framework of like, what did TV do? TV did five things. It kept us informed. It provided educational content. It provided a live view of sporting events. Uh, it told stories and it offered escapism, right? Kind of like this antidote to boredom. And I think um, we think about how we can do those kind of things through our different channels. So when I think about like a newsletter, it depends what kind of newsletter you want. Like if you're subscribing to Axios, that is there for um, to like keep you informed. Like that is that like Axios keeps you informed. For us, like we actually tell stories through our newsletter. I don't. There's like I don't want to just be like a crypto newsletter that's like here's what happened yesterday. Like FTX blew up. I want to tell a story, and I think that's why our newsletter has been so exciting. But like. I'm sure there are other successful crypto newsletters who are like, we want to keep the reader informed. I just think there are better channels. Like we link out, like in our newsletter, we'll be like top news of the day. And we link out to all the, our news stories, but like that's, and that's how we keep the reader informed. If they want to go do that, they can, we can keep them informed that way. But our actual content inside the newsletter is, uh, is like storytelling. So that, that's the first thing. The, the other second thing that I see everyone, make, a lot of people make a mistake with in newsletters is like, they just kind of link out to other stuff there. And that's not a, you, you need to keep your, you need why, why you need to give someone a, re, a reason to subscribe and like give them content that they can't find anywhere else and put that inside the newsletter. So. No, that, that's good advice. H how did you guys think about just that last point of, of differentiating? Because, you know, there were other uh, research uh, organizations, there were other, you know, news organizations, um, so I, there are lots of newsletters. So how did you think about like, what was the white space there? Okay. So like maybe zooming way, way, way out. Like my, my view, well, it's not my view. I think this is just how markets work is like in, in any given market, you have really, you have early movers and um, usually you'll have like two or three companies, let's say like be a really early mover. So uh, in, in crypto media's example, you would have Coindesk and Cointelegraph. Those are the early movers. Then when a market gets big and everyone kind of says, holy shit, there's a lot of money to be made there. And there's like a big total addressable market, if you, you flood the market with, with competitors. And, um, and so that's what we saw in 2018 and 2019. Blockworks, Decrypt, uh, Coindesk, Cointelegraph, Bankless, NFT Now, Defiant, like all, all these brands. And, and that kind of bloats the, the market. There's actually too many competitors for the market to withstand. And then the, it kind of squeezes back again, where, in, uh, where there, you'll, you'll, every market will get left with like two or three companies. Um, but this time it won't be the first movers who are left. It'll be, it'll be the best companies. It'll be the ones who can remain. And I think that's how we think about um, like the business as a whole, but also each channel. Like there are, there were early movers in the podcast space, Laura Shin uh, and Epicenter. Those are the two first crypto podcasts. Then there was like a colossal boom in crypto shows. But if you fast forward, there's going to be, there's going to be a smaller amount of shows that people listen to. And, and we want, we want to sit there. Yeah, and let me follow up. Is is there a world where Blockworks existed, but you didn't do the news portion? You didn't break news, like you were just you know providing um, you know some deeper research and some analysis, but you let other people break, break, break the news. Like, how do you determine and decide what to let other people do versus what you do yourself? It's funny. Like that that was probably the biggest decision we ever made at the company. And um, the the backstory of this is uh, I don't know if I should share this or not, but I'll just yeah. The the backstory of this is that. When COVID hit, 80% of our revenue came from conferences. 
And 80, therefore, 80% of our revenue got wiped out overnight. And month over month, our revenue fell 80%. And we, we kind of had this, oh, crap moment. And um, what we did is we basically, we had, we talked to about 100 people. It sounds like you've, you, you're you pretty good at this. Is like, I want, I have an idea. Let me go talk to a bunch of people and figure this out. And through the conversations with, with all of our audience, we realized that there was just a really, really, really missing piece of the market, which was like crypto news, but news that feels a little more like a Bloomberg or a Wall- like something that's more professional and buttoned up and like something for the institutional crowd. And um, it's evolved since then, but like that was the original thesis of news. And um, I think you've actually, and, and so that's why we built it. Um, and I think we've done that. A, we So I mentioned markets, like there's always first movers, then the market bloats. We aren't first movers. Like there are some companies that are like, we are always going to be first to the market. That's not our strategy. I don't think that's a core competency of ours. Even our strategy is like, we're actually usually late to things. So there, there was already news, decrypted news, Cointelegraph, the block, Coindesk, they all did news. We just, I think have done it better than anyone else. Uh, research. There's already research, Masari, Delphi, the block. I just think we're going to do it better than anyone else. And like, for people who haven't worked in media, they might that might sound a little crazy, but like I, a lot of media is just an execution game. It's like, can you execute better than other people? So, and I have a lot of confidence in our ability to execute. Just to, to push on it for, for a second, too, is like, what does it mean to execute better uh, in 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 research? And is it you're like for news? Is it what really matters? Is it breaking stories? And for research, is it just like the most comprehensive analysis? Or like, what, what does it mean to to when you say it's execution game? What's the execution? Well, just to answer maybe that first question of like what matters there, like is it breaking news? Is it it's there's one thing that matters in media, trust. And I would argue that it's not just in media. Look at the bear market in crypto right now. And I don't know how many of the listeners here are like in, into crypto, but the toughest commodity commodity to come by right now is trust. Look at who's winning the exchange game. It's Coinbase because people trust them. And I think like when we are trying to like we have a big decision to make at the company. There's a core value of like trust and it, and, it, and things funnel back to that. So like, maybe that's how I'd answer that. There are definitely more strategic, like execution level decisions where it's like, uh, do you focus on breaking news? Do you focus on like investigative reporting? And I think it all depends on what stage you're at. So for us, like when we launched news, if we tried to focus on breaking news, we would, we, we, we would have been steamrolled because we had five reporters and Coindesk had 100 reporters. So we, there's no way you could compete there. And so it's taken us two years of building like a very institutional, we have news that you can't find anywhere else. We have like, it's, it's much deeper than anyone else, like two years doing that. And now finally, you know, February of 2023, we are going to compete on the breaking news side of things, but it's not like we were. And I think like, that's a good strategy for media companies to take is like, how can I own a really, really, really specific niche? dominate that niche and then expand and then try to dominate that niche and then expand. And so that, that's like the strategy that we take internally. Yeah. That, that, um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, zooming out a bit, uh, you know, we've described the, some of your playbooks for, for events, for podcast network, for, for news and research. If, um, knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and do anything different, whether it's, uh, you know, the execution or the sequencing or certain strategic, um, decisions, uh, what are some things you'd uh, you'd have done differently that might inform how how I build my company or, or listeners build theirs? I have a media answer for you and a comp- like a just a like a founder to founder answer. The the media answer is just focus on building your own audience 
as as early as possible. And like when the numbers aren't there, just like close close the thing that's showing you the chart and just keep keep doing things. Um, and like per- perseverance will win. Um, and uh, yeah, like we just waited really long to like build our own newsletter or like build our own podcast. And like, I don't know, you saw us do it. We, we helped build token dailies thing, but like we weren't, we should have spent that time building our own thing. Um, so that was like, that was one, that was probably like our big, one of our bigger mistakes uh, on the company side. We just waited too long to hire like a leadership team. I'd say we have fought. So we, that was the, one of the biggest priorities for, for Mike and for Mike and I uh, last, the last six months of 2022 was like build the leadership team um we brought on like world class CTO world like uh, just best in class everything like editor in chief CTO we have amazing COO VP of marketing director of people director of finance um i'm scared i'm missing someone now but like re- really really good leaders and man it is just made it isn't it, it's made this not just more fun and more successful but like it's just, it's just made everything better. It's made like my personal life better. It's made the company better. It's made the teams better internally. Like I think teams are much happier. Um, and so that was probably just like a first time founder mistake is keeping too much control and like not going to hire those, those other leaders who are honestly much better at like our VP of marketing is much better at marketing than I am. So we should have done that years ago. And and the CTO is a former, uh, uh, token daily co-founder. Is that right? You introduced us to, oh my God, shout out Dennis. Yeah, yeah that, was, uh, that was awesome. Now I feel less guilty about the Token Daily, uh, you know, po- podcast not taking off. <laughs> I'm giving you shit for Token Daily here, but that was a, a, lo- a no. lot of good came. came yeah. No, that's, uh, that, that, that's great advice. Is it the same thing as hiring executives for like a venture-backed startup, except you have the benefits of of not having bosses, so to speak, or, or controlling your own destiny? Or or how, how do you think about building an executive team for, for a media company? I think it's different. I mean, like... We, we, I mean, I also think it really depends on the founders. Like I will tell you the type of executive who does well at Blockworks. It is someone who is very scrappy, is not afraid to roll up their sleeves and has a very clear viewpoint of how their team should run. So we've made the mistake in the past occasionally of hiring people from like big brands, like bringing on someone from Facebook or bringing on someone from like the New York times. It does not go well. <laughs> it, it doesn't end well because they... There's usually someone else telling them what the vision should be at that company. They don't want to roll up their sleeves. They aren't comfortable operating on a super tight budget. So like, I don't know that that's who does well for us. I'm sure they're, I'm sure it depends on the founders. I'm sure it depends on the type of company, media, software, but that that's who does well for us. So. Totally. That's good to know. Um, gearing towards closing here. Um, I, um, I'm curious to zoom out uh, again and say, Hey, um, you know, you you know that I'm exploring kind of this uh, almost like hold co media company, uh, you know, podcast newsletter network, but but even broader, like whether it's an incubator of media companies or private equity model, like a media company. I'm still figuring out what's the what's the best model. I, I get that good advice might be like, hey, pick a sector, dominate it, uh, go super niche, and then expand from there. At the same time, uh, you know me, I, and I, I get excited about lots of things and <laughs> and and. And have connection, like can, can kind of bootstrap, yeah. uh, you know, brands uh, relatively quickly. Like, if if you were, let's say, co-founding what I'm building with me, if there was a clone of you doing that, like, how would you think about sequencing, or or what advice would you give um, in terms of like where the opportunity is and how to get this right? Let me let me ask you a question here, Eric. What is your job as a venture capitalist? 
my job as venture capitalist is to identify companies that have potential to uh, to scale and and you know become really big and create enduring value and assist them in in, in doing it. Agree. Nice, nice answer. You're you have the same job as someone building a media company now, which is to identify talent that and creators. Like I use this word creator, a, a, a reporter's a creator, journalist is a creator, video person's a creator, a podcast, someone who write, who creates content. Um, your job is to identify people who the market has not yet identified as being super talented. So don't go like, I think, you know, maybe some of the mistakes I see people doing on the like, quote unquote, creator side of things is like, they'll go, they'll go on Twitter, they'll try to hire the the journalist with 100,000 followers. So like, They'll try to like give the podcast host with you know five hundred cat thousand followers and they'll overpay them. Go find someone who has like fourteen hundred followers on Twitter and give them the opportunity of a lifetime. Because like I don't know, I saw you had Mark Andreessen on your podcast. Like you have a crazy network, right? Give someone young and and scrappy who like who has that like it factor the ability to the the, the opportunity of a lifetime and give them a podcast. Give them like. That's what I would do is give that person a podcast and then connect them with like a big AI person and boom, you've got two hosts of a show and repeat that and you're going to get 10 shows and like four of them are fa- going to fail and like four of them are going to be pretty mediocre and you're going to end up with two colossal shows that generate tens of millions of revenue each year. You know, that's uh, that, that, that's great advice. And, and I'm, yeah, I'm definitely following your model. Uh, I mean, before I was planning on just doing one host per show, but I, thanks to you, I'm, I'm doing two. Uh, you know, you guys, uh, Colossus, uh, you know, are definitely uh, inspirations for, for, for what I'm doing here. Um, let's, um, let, let, let's, let's wrap, wrap there. Um, any, um, any upcoming plugs uh, for uh, things uh, people should check out for people who want to uh, go deeper? I'll plug the podcast. I have a, I have a podcast called, called Empire. If you're interested in crypto, you should check that out. Uh, we have a newsletter. I don't know. People can play around on the website, blockworks.co. Uh, CO, because we're too cheap to get the .com. Let me endorse the podcast. I, I listen to every Empire episode, but I'm also a fan of the the macro shows as well. On the Margin, uh, Forward Guidance. Um, I just started the the research uh, show that you guys uh, launched. Oh, nice! As well. oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so no, you, you guys know how to put put shows together. Um, and then um, also just um, you know, Blockworks is an inspiring company, and and your was one thing that's inspiring about your journey is you know you went from producer to also creator yourself. Uh, you, you were producing the the pomps, um, and you, you had very little Twitter followers. Uh, I feel like when we we original met. But uh, both on Twitter and then on as a podcast host yourself, I feel like you became one of the one of the best and most trusted voices in the space. Um, and I feel like you're an example. So one of the best in the business in terms of like an execution game and how you built Blockworks, but also uh, just in terms of integrity and, and being generous with your time with with me and, and other people. So uh, appreciate you uh, uh, coming uh, coming on this podcast and, and thanks for all your help. Thanks, man. Been a bit of joy doing this, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Awesome. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short-form clips directly from Riverside, because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code MEDIAEMPIRES to get a 20% discount. 
Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution to Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors, like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors. If you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.